All righty then. Uh, Got to clean up something from the other one. I forgot. Matt in Oregon sent it to me, and I forgot to say it in my um, Jamie Lee Curtis section. The reason why the left's going after the post office also is that they did a report probably spurned on by all this craziness trying to disprove Trump. And the Postmaster General literally said 46 states couldn't do it. They never get it back in time. So that's why they want to impeach the Postmaster General. Fully fund the Postmaster or the Post Office. And it has nothing to do with funding. They just can't do it. During COVID, with all the restrictions the left to put in, how the fuck are they going to do it? We can't do the 9-11 memorial. I was going to say for This Is America, but we can't. They canceled it because of COVID. It's also because the board has Bloomberg and Robert De Niro on it, but they said the museum, we can't do it. So another agency is going to break in and do it anyway for September 11th. But if you can't do that memorial because of COVID, how's the post office, which has to abide by all your crazy fucking COVID requirements and social distance and mask, how are they going to pull off at least 150 fucking million people voting? How? They, they can't. But making sense is never what they do. Our first soundbite is going to be COVID. Before we get there, 300 Florida testing centers busted for giving 100% positive test results, but only 10% were actually positive. And this goes in lines with them lying, and then the media just dropped the Florida thing. Do you notice it? Well, liberals are in there cooking the books everywhere to make the GOP look bad so Biden could get elected. And that's why I have a hard time with all the COVID. Second is the AP. Is out with a bombshell piece accusing the state of New York and Governor Cuomo of undercounting retirement home deaths. They undercounted. More people have died than they're saying. And that is not covered. But the GOP killing college football. Yeah, that's a thing. Holy cow. Storming Normandy is his means of comparison here. There are a lot of people who died there. We're talking about a college football game. Exactly, John. I wonder if Lou Holtz told all of his friends and all of his relatives and went to the governors of certain states and said, would you please tell people to wear masks back in April or May or June? Uh, I'm going to guess that Lou Holtz, who I like very much, I'm going to guess that Lou Holtz did not do that. And what we're hearing from all these politicians, uh, the temper tantrums, basically, that were thrown by various people from Jim Jordan to Ben Sass to Marco Rubio to Ron DeSantis. We want our football. Where were you in April, guys? Where were you in May? Where were you in June? Uh, this is all interconnected. And one wonders if they're more worried about their political careers than having college football. I don't know the answer to that. But what I do know is we're seeing people arrive to this too late when we could see the warning signs in the Ivy League five weeks ago today, John, Ivy League uh, canceled fall sports. Five weeks ago, they knew exactly what they were doing. My guess, John, is when all is said and done, as the doctor has said as well, uh, this is such a difficult time that these conferences will not be able to play. 
uh, unless they completely ignore the advice of doctors. And then you are throwing at, at risk all of your student athletes. And that's really the issue here. How many deaths, illnesses, hospitalizations are we willing to accept? Is Alabama willing to accept? Is Duke willing to accept? Uh, all of these schools uh, to have their beloved football. And with myocarditis, uh, we, we see there's been reporting that up to 10 cases in the Big Ten of myocarditis. That's the heart inflammation issue. How many more can we allow sports, these universities, allow their young men or young women? Yeah, that, that's it. GOP, conservatives who like football more because the South's a football craziness. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Teachers openly fret that parents might hear them brainwashing children. Call parents dangerous. One of the creepiest yet most revealing Twitter threads ever to be posted on a platform. A teacher recently fretted out loud that virtual classes might allow parents to hear him brainwashing their kids. Matthew R. K., an educator and author of the book on how to lead meaningful race conversations in the classroom, worried that conservative parents would be able to interfere with the messy work of indoctrinating children in critical race theory, gender theory, and other left-wing dogmas. Here's the entire thread, which has since been set to private. So this fall, virtual class discussions will have many potential spectators, parents, siblings, etc. in the same room. We'll never be quite sure who is overhearing the discourse. What does this do for equity inclusion work? How much have students depended on somewhat secure barriers of our physical classrooms to encourage vulnerability? How many of us have installed some versions of what happens here stays here to help this? I can't believe you put this in public. Well, conversations about race are in my wheelhouse and remain a concern in this no-walls environment. I'm most intrigued by the damage that helicopter snowplow parents can do in the host conversations about gender sexuality. And while conservative parents are my chief concern, I know that the damage can come from the left, too. If we are engaged in a messy work of destabilizing a kid's racism or homophobia or transphobia, how much do we want their classmates' parents piling on? It's important to note that while some teachers respond to Kate's comment with appropriate level of horror and disgust, many others chimed in to share their own strategies for brainwashing during a pandemic. One teacher said she's also been thinking about the problem Kate described and has decided that she asked students about their preferred pronouns via a survey through she still worries that caregivers, not parents, might see it and learn something about their children that they weren't supposed to know. Another teacher said that students last semester would sometimes type secrets in the chat whenever the discussion turned to anti-racism, gender inclusivity. Another complaint that a white parent, she made sure to specify white in her district recorded a Zoom class and filed a complaint against the teacher for an anti-racist read aloud saying the teacher's commentary were inappropriate and biased. This, the teacher said, is going to be an issue. A ninth grade teacher shared in the commiseration saying that her class required students to read and respond to a news article, but that participation in this exercise is stunted now because outsiders are listening. The outsiders, to be clear, are the children's parents. A teacher with pronouns listed in her Twitter handle said that she plans to use the chat function more than voice lecture to keep parentless parentless way to teach a parentless way sorry a science teacher agreed with all the sentiments expressed here and surmised it bluntly parents are dangerous parents are dangerous I'm not going to read anymore 
parents are dangerous. I mean, if you didn't think it was happening, you're a fucking crackhead. Let's just be honest. This is what they do. This is what they do. These people believe it is their right to brainwash your kid into liberalism. And it's more than your right. It's what they do because that's the only way they can get this craziness to go. Every poll shows that 18% of the country is them. The rest of us have an IQ above a fucking potato. Which brings us to our woke of woke, Christopher F. Rufo. Let me get a drink because my throat is dry. So, he hinted this, and then he showed the goods. A federal government premier nuclear research lab hosted a three-day re-education camp for white males only, with the goal of exposing their white privilege and deconstructing white male culture. Here are the leaked documents from the race-segregated, taxpayer-funded session. Sandia National Laboratories, which designs American nuclear weapons, sent it to white male executives to La Posa Luxury Resort to undergo a mandatory training called White Men's Caucus on Eliminating Racism, Sexism, Homophobia, and Organizations. He got everybody who went. In the opening, though, work session, the trainers demanded that the men's make a list of associations about white male culture, the trainer write white supremacist, KKK, Aryan Nation, Mega Hat, Privilege, and Mass Killings. The trainers insisted that white male white males must work hard to understand their white privilege, male privilege, heterosexual privilege. They claim that white men benefit from positive stereotypes that far outweigh the Tim McVeighs and Ten Kaczynskis of white maleness. Uh, I'm not making that up. That's actually a thing. I'm opening the picture right now. Because I would put it in my podcast, but it's really, really hard to read it. So I decided to go back and just put the link. And it was an easier way to handle this shit. Sorry, let me get the damn page to look right. We're doing this live. Okay. Here are the notes. Work hard to better understand systemic privilege. Systemic privilege is the web of unspoken, invisible benefits that come to a person by no virtue of his or her own own. The benefits are made to look achievable through effort and hence available to any person. Being a recipient of systemic privilege based on skin, color, gender, sexual orientation does not prevent straight white men from feeling mistreated and personally powerless in individual interactions. That said, not understanding how the benefits of systemic privilege impact day-to-day interactions can create enormous barriers in effective understanding, communicating, and leading diverse organizations. I always thought in an organization the best thing to do is earn fucking money. Do your goddamn job really good. And then you can be a Martian and you succeed. White privilege. We're not going to read it. Male privilege. 
I can more easily put my work and work schedule first without guarding the key obligation of my family. I can in many more situations than not take up more time, get more respect on the job. I'm not judged by the attractiveness of my appearance. Oh, shut the fuck up. Heterosexual privilege. I can have pictures of loved ones on my desk and not have to worry about what people will think. That is such a fucking red herring. You people shove your sexuality in everybody's face. I don't go around saying, I'm a heterosexual. I'm a heterosexual. Nobody does that. I can talk about what I did last weekend without having to edit what I say. I can bring a date to a company function and off-site events to which spouses are invited without the risk of negatively affecting my career. There are a million laws. A million that stop you from doing that. You guys understand that? We have laws everywhere that if I fired you because you suck a dick, I lose my job. Moving on. In fact, the trainer claimed that white male culture leads to lower quality of life at work and home, reduced life expectancy, unproductive relationship, and high stress. It also forces this white male standard on women and minorities. Well, you guys want us dead, so why would you care about that? It's already proven that white males live less, longer than other people. You should be happy with that. In a subsequent session, the white males must publicly recite a series of white male male privilege statements and male privilege statements. They must accept their complicity in white male system and their role in creating oppression. Okay, let's click that again. I clicked out of it, but I'm going to stay in it now. White privilege. I must recite this. White people can loiter at Starbucks, not being rejected for a loan, being deemed as not having enough money to buy a house. As a majority, we often prevail in elections. Acceptance is without a test. White privilege is being able to buy a home in a neighborhood they want. Wealth, isn't that the same thing? Wealth accumulation over generations. Oh yeah, I got a lot for my family. We expect things to be our normal. I don't want other people judge me on color of my skin. I'm generally not feared of being stopped by the police. White privilege is not worrying about neighbors questioning their safety. I can drive anywhere. White privilege is not asking if you really afford something. I don't have to remove my family pictures. Oh, the family pictures. They're really big on the family pictures. And then male privilege. Men can easily be physically dominating and intimidating. Uh, men can be viewed as a stud. Men can stage at a different hotel for the conference. Men are physically stronger. Men, fuck, let's just, let's just genetically pull it out. You're already doing it. You're genetically taking it the fuck out. Men can go into a room and not feel different. Men can assert leadership without being challenged. Oh, really? I don't remember a time an African-American female didn't challenge me. Yeah, fuck it. I'm not reading this goddamn shit, you fucking moon bats. Ah. Finally, as the Ridgie Education Camp concludes, the white men must write letters directed to white men, people of color, and other groups regarding the meaning of this caucus experience. They apologize for their privilege and pledge to become better family men. Let's read one of these hostage fucking letters. Oh, shit, I can't get that to come up. Hold on a second. Let me get it to come up. 
Here's a hostage letter. Let's see. Uh, let's pick this one. We're going to eeny, meeny, money mo. The morning of the caucus to me was the opening of my thinking and empathy towards groups other than white males and how we interact with them from a position of power unwittingly, but sometimes it was a huge learning experience. First and foremost, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the times I have not stood up for you to create a safe place. I'm sorry for the time I spent not thinking about you and all the places. Don't fucking shoot me. (laughs) That's all these are. The caucus allowed me to see the privilege, although not previously realized, that I have as a white male society. The caucus taught me there are both individual and group paradoxes, and I view these perspectives not from a lens of being right and from a lens of both are right, which is not, I guess, the meeting helped me see different perspectives on diversity and gave me tools and leadership skills to be a better ally, mentor, employee, friend. I don't want to be canceled. Please don't cancel me. Who is leading the struggle section? A company called White Men as Full Diversity Partners. This is no joke. It's the same fucking crazy fucker that's gotten $3 million from America. Or $30 million from the government. It's just like the last one we covered, but worse. Fuck me upside down. I would quit my fucking job. Then do that. So, let's... Go to gay shit. Hey, hey, hey. Bow, bow, bow. Low pump and cut. Hey, gay shit, 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 gay shit. Gonna play it, but I'm not. TLC special about a pregnant black trans couple. Yeah. Yeah, That's great. 21 years later, the Matrix creator claimed Trilogy is a trans allegory because he became trans. This is sacrilegious. If you're a sci-fi geek like me, this is just all sorts of wrong. So much for the red pill. The Matrix is firmly far-left blue-pill territory. The Wachowski sisters are now regarding the Matrix trilogy as an allegory about coming terms of transgender. The creator of the Matrix officially added a new dimension of the interpretation to the landmark trilogy, Trans Allegory, according to Lily Wachowski. Neo's struggle with a human enslaving machine was just a straightforward action movie about fucking kicking-ass robots of the future. It was about struggles and joys of accepting yourself as a trans person. The Matrix, well then, Morpheus, please plug us back in. Lily Wachowski, one of the two former Wachowski brothers, talked to Netflix Film Club and acknowledged a deeper meaning. She stated, I'm glad that people are talking about the movie, the Matrix movie, with a trans narrative. I love how meaningful those films are to trans people, and I just can't anymore. No. No. I, I refuse. Not doing it. That has nothing to do with being trans. So are trans people batteries? Is that what we're saying? And then maybe you shouldn't take the pill. Maybe you should stop taking the other pills that are the opposite hormones and go see a fucking psychiatrist. You fucking moon bats. 
William Shatner takes on the hordes of SJW zombies. Some need labels and categories to separate people in order to harass or debase them. The only time cis is used, referring to me as in a way, do we need those labels in order to communicate? No. So those that use them when describing others are doing it for a negative reason. Moonbat, such it past. Did you ever read the Dr. Seuss book about the star-bellied snitches? It's like that. Most of us are star-bellied. Some of us are smooth-bellied. Cis and trans, nothing wrong with either one. We're just a little different from each other. How wonderful that Dr. Seuss did that. I, however, am not a snitch, so please don't put a label on me to define yourself. Is that not clear enough? I think you know what I'm saying. Sometimes distinctions are useful, but we have more in common than whatever. Being Jewish Catholic section of Montreal, Canada, beat up as a kid for being a Jew. I had distant relatives who died to do the Nazis. I hope you can understand that I feel distinctions are labels and labels are dehumanizing. Am I clear? Cis people, she replies, aren't oppressed for being cis. You're still cis no matter how many times you say it. And until cis people stop dehumanizing trans and non-binary people, you don't really get to determine the words we could talk about our struggle. His reply... Who are you to tell a person you can use words or debase against them because you, some unknown others, use debasing words towards you? That has to be one of the most ignorant and childish statements I've seen. Grow up. In case you cannot see the tweet, I replied to because the person protected their tweets. Cis people are oppressed for being cis. You're still no matter, blah, blah, blah. Deep down in the thread, every time you tweet, you confirm what a bigoted bully you are. Now you're going after a black trans woman. Him. Amazing how I'm the bully when responded to me and why bringing up skin was so important to your argument. This goes on for a very long time. And Shatner is just like, what the actual fuck happened? What happened? Some troll attacks him. Why? He's a different generation. Why would they get your crazy shit? We've said it all over the place. We don't get your shit. Nobody gets your shit. You don't even get your own shit. For fuck's sake, people, you fucking go over and up and down and... God damn, how are we supposed to keep up with what you want to be called? We can't. I just, God damn, man. What the fucking fuck? But that's how we're going to play it now. They have no other recourse. They can't win with their ideas. They can't do any of this stuff. Because nobody buys it. So then we have Duchette. Oh, no, it's not it. I'm sorry. Mia. She's a Googler star. She learned that she apparently is a social media star and singer who plays ukulele. Clearly, that makes her important enough to merit being blue checked. Anyway, Mia got some friendly advice for anyone out there who makes it a habit to refer to women by particularly degrading terms. Stop calling women females. It's degrading. 
It's very objectifying and dehumanizing. And I don't think it's always done with ill intent. But we as people don't go around describing men as males to nearly the same extent. Somebody replied, what if you're calling men males in the same context, like in a certain circumstance, such as a science? I'm sorry this is rude. I just never have any clue why these sort of things are degrading even. And I'm a girl. She says, science fine, mainly referring to situations in which an individual critiquing women saying, don't you hate when females blank? Another person. Can I ask why it's more degrading than women? I don't use it when it doesn't sound right. It's just like I understand the implication behind it so I know what it is. Like when speaking in biology of human animals. Her reply to that. The general discourse around it has to do with the fact that others, women, kind of liking us to an animal. A species. Well, we are animals and species that's what we are for fuck's sake you see where it goes you can't you just can't use language they're gonna find a reason to say that language is inappropriate HBO delivers anti-motherhood feminist dark comedy series cause that goes with the new thing And then, to make matters worse, the Louisiana Supreme Court issued an order Wednesday announcing modification of the method of administrating the bar exam. It will be open book on the honor system. And that's what you get. Now we're not going to have standards for anything. Because if we had standards, goddamn, what would that do? What would happen if we have standards? Everybody's treated the same. If you treat everybody the same, well, then we lose the whole argument that uh, there's bias. Which brings us to everything's racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. And now, a message from Arthur. I gotta call Buster. Hey, Arthur. Hey, Buster. Did you see that video? Yeah, I just watched it. It was awful. I can't believe someone would be hurt like that just because they're black. Racism is so unfair. No one should ever judge someone by the color of their skin. But how could it happen here, in Elwood City, right outside the Sugar Bowl? Buster, it happens everywhere. I was talking to Mrs. McGrady the other day. She said there's a really long history of black people not being treated fairly in this country. It has to stop. We have to do something. Yeah! But what can we do? I mean, I'm eight. I can't even fry an egg on my own. I don't know. Maybe Mrs. McGrady can give us some ideas. Hold on. Hello, boys. I'm so glad you reached out to me. Yes, I saw the video, too. And let me tell you, it made my blood boil. Me, too. It also made me scared. I mean, this happened in our neighborhood. It is scary, Buster. 
But you should know that a lot of grown-ups are fighting racism and working hard to keep us all safe. Why does this keep happening, Mrs. McGrady? Well, racism is like a disease. If you don't treat it, it's just going to get worse. Wait, if racism is a disease, can I get it? Buster, don't worry. This isn't about you. Actually, it is. It's about all of us. It's not enough to just say, I'm not racist. It's not my problem. We have to actively fight against racism. As my friend John Lewis once said, if you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have a moral obligation to do something about it. So, what can we do? Well, one of the most important things is what you're doing right now. Eating carrot sticks? <laughs> I mean, talking about it. Talk about racism with your friends, your parents, your teachers. Don't be afraid to ask questions. We all have a lot to learn about this issue. Also, listen. Listen to people who have experienced racism firsthand. Imagine what it would be like if it happened to you or someone you love. And finally, act. When you see or hear of someone being treated unfairly, stand up for them. Say something. It might be scary, but I guarantee you it's better for everyone. And it's the right thing to do. Wow! You really inspired me! Yeah, thank you, Mrs. McGrady. I'm going to talk with my parents about this right now! Hey, Mom! Me too! Bye! Whoa! That's it! I was just getting going! Remember, kids, talk, listen, and act. If we work together, we can make a difference. And eat those carrots, too. <laughs> Explore more with Arthur on the PBS Kids video app. Yep, there we go. Arthur rolls out. Fucking PBS. Everybody's a fucking racist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. John Gamlich brings our next racist thing. 76% of adult Latinos in the U.S. have never heard of Latinx. And only 3% use it. Because that's only woke white people that are doing it. Then we have the L.A. Times because that's what they're good for. Finding racist shit. Camping racist. Finding disparity in access to the outdoors. I'm not going to read it. I, oh, fuck it. I'll read it. What the hell? BIPOC. Camping Kits Project. The August 10th profile piece by Chance Beach. Also spent a considerable length of time lamenting the racial aspects of camping. National parks have a story of segregation from the Civil Rights Act. And they go on to say it's not fair. They can't get out as much. They tweeted. It's like they're just making shit up now. We've ran the gamut on everything's fucking racist. So we just got to make shit up. So camping's racist. Fishing's racist. Racist. Breathing oxygen. Racist because there's smog in some areas. Here's some more racist sound bites. Now, the only thing, and you know, Senator, I've, I've studied your background, you and I talk a lot. The only thing I can glean from this is just, just dropping your name into tweets because you're an African-American man and he thinks that might scare his voters. I don't know. 
I really do think that it is something as basic as that. This is a an emergency. This is a major, major problem. What can be done now to stop this? He's out there talking about it. He's saying it in plain words, just like he talks about uh, suburban housewives and, uh, and, and low income people invading. He's talking about stopping mail in voting. What can we do? Well, I just want you to understand that, and, and I know we, we want to look through the political lens, but this is an emergency for the health and well-being of Americans. Give me your thoughts about Kamala Harris. Um, uh, it is some of the best news uh, I've had of my entire career. I, I, Kamala Harris isn't my colleague. She's my sister. Uh, we have been in the trenches fighting for a long time. And- was in the White House. Here you have another presidential candidate who selects as his vice president someone who was harshly critical of him in a primary process. And I think it speaks to the character of both of these people uh, that they can now work together. Well, it also speaks, I think, to their intellect. And my father always surrounded himself with people who challenged him. He surrounded himself purposefully, socially and professionally with people who disagreed with him. And he was always trying to figure out where that common ground was or understand uh, what the other point of view was. Uh, I want to bring up another reason why Kamala Harris may just be the right choice for this time. Um, How many days till the election? Joe Biden's in a very comfortable position in the polls. You can perhaps even get comfortable feeling like the mood of America is leaning toward against Trump and toward Biden just because of all the people who are dying from his botched leadership in this pandemic. It's so impossible not to see that things are not going well right now. But put that aside, because with Donald Trump, there's always another way. He'll always find another way. And he doesn't care, as we've learned over the past few years, Jason Johnson, about the law. And Kamala Harris has been deeply immersed in the law and all the challenges to our laws uh, for decades. And serving as California's attorney general, district attorney, going to law. I think she may be. And also, as a woman, I think she creates problems for the Trump campaign. Um, It's going to be difficult to attack her. She's going to be able to explain every step of the way how the law works every time the Trump campaign or the Trump presidency tries to push the boundaries of laws or even what they're doing with the Postal Service. I think she may have the right voice for explaining what where we came from and what our country is built on and why laws are in place. Uh, Amika, I agree. Uh, she'll be a great part of the campaign. She's she, look. She's always been smart. She's always been able to explain what she's done and why, and that's going to be part of the campaign process. But I'm going to jump a little bit forward. I'm going to assume, let's let's say magically, that Joe Biden wins the presidency uh, and, and Senator Harris becomes Vice President Harris. What I think she would be best at, what I actually think makes her more qualified than some of the other people, someone, once Biden takes office, is going to be tasked with going through this entire administration with a fine-tooth comb and basically expunging all the Trumpists, like getting rid of the bath party in Iraq. Like somebody's got to go through and find all of these incompetent, unqualified, corrupt, white nationalist supporting people that Trump has burrowed into our State Department. 
burrowed into our Justice Department. And I think Senator Harris would be fantastic at finding those people and removing them because she'll have the skill set to not only get rid of the officials and the bureaucrats, she can help us impeach some of these judges, these underqualified judges that Donald Trump has managed to push in. So I think that actually was one of the things that I think about, should she become vice president, she would be better at than any of the other top candidates that Joe Biden was looking at. For sure. Fucking wordsmiths. That's all they got. Now then you got the Los Angeles time again, and this is the most insane thing I've ever heard. You might love the dessert, but you might not know the history behind the song associated with it. As Good Humor explains, Turkey in the Straw has a very racist past. Turkey in the Straw melody originated from the British and Irish folk song, which had no racial connotation. But the song itself was performed and gained popularity in American minstrel shows in the 1800s, and that's fucking it. So now, good humor. This is what we're supposed to listen to. Okay, I can play this game. So rap music's about objectifying women, calling them hoes and sluts and killing cops. Because that's what you did there. Urban music. So that's okay. Mm. So Somebody dug really deep on that. Which brings us to our This Is America. I know, not super long, but I, I couldn't do a four and a four fucking hour podcast. It would have been four and a half hours. HuffPo asking the president if he regrets all his lies. Did did they ask Obama that? As stated in our opening session, Acosta lying about Obama administration's unlawful spying on the Trump administration. And then Donnie Deutsch reminding everybody because we got to make sure everybody knows. Everybody needs to know. One in three Americans are racist piece of shit because they voted for Trump. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing the fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. Guns in my area. My area. I got the strap. Hey! Mr. President, after three and a half years, you regret it all. All the lying you've done to the American people. All the what? All the lying. All the dishonesties. And who is that? You have done. Uh, tens of thousands. Please. 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 Uh, Go ahead. I wanted to ask about the payroll tax. No, cut. Uh, and the president also uh, was slamming uh, President Obama, uh, Vice President Biden, accusing them of spying on the Trump campaign. That is just not true. That did not happen, has not been proven. Uh, but let's uh, let's turn to our political experts. Let's go to David Chalian. 
how do one in three Americans still believe this man about Corona or anything? And the answer is only one thing. One in three Americans are racists. One in three Americans are terrified mm. that this country by the year 2040 is not going to be majority white, that the black man or the, or the brown man or the, or the yellow man or w- woman are going to come and take their jobs and, and take away their suburbs and scale them. And it's no coincidence. Yesterday, Trump brought up Kamala Harris and the whole birther thing. That is the only explanation because you can't even point to the economy anymore. That is it, that one in three Americans are racist still in this country. And that's the answer. And as far as your other question about Pompeo and all these other people, they are cowards. And the only thing that we can do in the press is vigilantly do not let the parade go on. Every time you are interviewing any Republican about anything, you start with the post office. Because if we don't get that right and we get four more years of Trump, you are right, Mika. People like you, people like me, people like Gene Robinson can end up in jail. And certainly we want to stay away from Fifth Avenue. The disrespect is nothing new. I mean, let's just be honest. Berman from uh, CNN. Literal tweet. Literal tweet of the president of the United States of America. He said something about, we did a great job on this deal, blah, blah, blah. And Berman says, too much... Got to be careful of too much self-thinking. You'll get hair on your hands. I don't recall somebody making a masturbation joke about Obama. Other than the media jerking off to him. That was a thing. But could you imagine? Then we have this crazy shit. Zach Fink. This is from New York City DSA questionnaire for 2021 city council candidates. It's asked them to pledge to not to travel to Israel. Foreign policy. Do you pledge not to travel to Israel if elected to city council in solidarity with Palestinians living in occupation? Even though foreign policy falls outside the purview of municipal government, gestures like travel to country by elected officials from a city size of prominence in New York will send a powerful message, as with the refusal to participate. Do you support boycott, divest, and sanctions? That's the side of the party that's going to be running our country. You understand that, right? Camellia's like one of the squad. Mark D. Levin. As crazy as we can get on this COVID. Super liberal. Want to visit any dozen of oppressed regimes around the world? No problem. Want to travel the world's only major Jewish country? You won't get the DSA endorsement. He's extreme, and he knows that's too extreme. Ben Shapiro next. Guys, I've found it. The most biased, stupidest, the most ridiculous article of the day, perhaps of all time. Extraordinary nasty. Trump hurls one of his favorite insults to the new target, Camelia Harris. The resonance of Trump's nasty adjective is often different when the recipient is a woman, and different still when the woman's black. Calling a woman nasty, says many experts in women in politics, is another way to deliberately dismiss and demean female politicians. It really has become coded language for a woman, and it tries to put into place that is unacceptable society, says Stephanie Schrock, a piece of shit from Emily's List, which works, and that was the one that told the media how they're supposed to cover it and then what they're supposed to do. Remember that? 
Our society allows for poor behavior by men, but it's all little acceptance for anything but a perfection by women. And so a term like nasty really is just code of language, at least for a certain piece of the population. Shapiro, again, this article is a masterpiece. The first paragraph acknowledges that Trump used the adjective nasty in an equal opportunity fashion. And it shows he said it all the time. Then, to show it's even more crazy, Pentagon dismisses unserious debate over potential military involvement in a post-election dispute. This is what CNN said. On Homefront, our digital and television column where we try to bridge the military-civilian divide, we're talking about whether the military should evict President Trump should he lose in November. And if that sounds crazy, well, welcome to the year 2020, because an open letter from retired Army officer John Noggle and retired Army Lieutenant Colonel Paul Yingling this week in National Security Publication Defense One is calling for exactly that. This is the key line. If Donald Trump refuses to leave office at the expiration of his constitutional term, the United States military must remove him by force and you must give that order. They addressed this letter to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Mark Milley, and this sparked big, fiery conversations in military and civilian communities alike, and it prompted an op-ed also in Defense One in response. Quote, the military won't save us and you shouldn't want them to. It's deeply irresponsible not to mention organizationally nonsensical to suggest that General Milley should evict an election-losing Trump from the White House. Uh, One of the authors calling it irresponsible and nonsensical is joining me now, and that is Jim Golby. He's a senior fellow at the Clements Center for National Security at the University of Texas, Austin. He's also co-host of a great podcast called Thank You for Your Service. Jim, thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me on, Brianna. Okay, so tell us... You know, this was a pretty swift reaction that you had to this initial uh, op-ed. Tell me why you and your co-author on the piece, Corey Shockey, felt that it was necessary to respond. Well, thanks so much. Uh, I think the main point for us is that we think that it is dangerous to even suggest that the military should be the primary tool we reach to to solve our domestic political disputes. And we really don't think that a call to do that would end well. Um, We're actually worried that even raising the idea uh, that we would turn to the military to settle an election um, could actually undermine the trust that the American people put in the military, that it will be an unbiased uh, tool of the elected leadership of our country. And, you know, to that point, you, you have major concern. A lot of people have very valid concerns in this. The military has been incredibly politicized. Uh, you know, this is something that we've seen in the past. Both parties do. But this is something that President Trump has really done on steroids from, you know, using them in protests or even raising the issue of activating them for protests, having military on the border when really they can't do the job that it seems they're supposed to be doing there. What are your concerns about the long-term damage of the politicization of the media, of the military that we've seen here in recent years? Well, I think in the United States, we've been rightfully skeptical uh, of using the military to solve our domestic political disputes since our founding. Um, it is something that, you know, George Washington very easily at the end of the Revolutionary War could have used his uh, military and political power to install himself as a king. Um, Instead, he retired, went home for several years uh, before he was later called again to run for office and he won a civilian political election. I think if we fall into the idea that we're going to use the military to solve our political disputes, we undermine the very 
soul and character of our military, uh, a military that willingly subordinates itself to the interests of the nation. And we also willing we also would undermine the character of our nation, one that uh, prides itself on the uh, nonviolent transfer of power from one party to another. And so I think the more and more we turn to the military and the less we turn to political processes, which we really do believe can handle these challenges and have handled challenges like this before in previous contentious, difficult elections as recently as the year 2000, uh, the more we turn to the military to solve those disputes, the less we will really be America and the less we'll stand for the things that America should stand for. Jim, thank you so much for bringing your academic and your past military perspective to this. We really appreciate it. And just a plug for your podcast. Thank you for your service. You and Alice are doing a great job with that. Though I miss your predecessors, Thomas and Nick. I just want to give them a plug, too. Thank you, Jim. And if you have any story ideas or questions, you can email me at homefront at CNN.com. And you can check out my column at CNN.com slash homefront. We're back in a moment. But it's the right with conspiracy theories. That's what we say all the time. It's the right. The right's just crazy. All these Trumpers and Southerners and gun people. And I had conspiracy theories theories saying that that they're going to take away your guns. I was idiotic. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they said. Don't think they're not going after the military. NFL won't have live national anthem performances and may bar military and police honor guards to the field because the left got on them. Because remember... The NFL charged the military. The military did it for promotion, for recruitment proceedings. But most everybody in the world, even New Yorkers, were proud to do the national anthem. But now the national anthem is bad. And instead of dealing with what they got to deal with, which is saying it's okay to go do the second national anthem and blah, blah, blah. Now we're just not going to do one. There won't be a national anthem, but I guarantee it sure as I'm a fat fucking bald guy. We'll have the... Lift up every voice's bullshit pumped through our fucking TVs. They'll cover that. Just not the Star Spangled Banner. And then we have a little funny to kind of end on. My eight-year-old kid. David Ruiz. This is our last article and then some fun funds and we're done. Replying to David Ruiz. My daughter, who is eight years old, when she heard that the vice president had picked Camilla Harris, her eyes got big, Chris, and said, my goodness, she's South Asian in Jamaica. That means anything is possible for a woman. And this is my daughter, who's eight years old. Here's what it sounds like. ...to seeing those doors potentially open. I like to look at it through the lens of when my daughter, who's eight years old, when she heard that the vice president had picked Kamala Harris, she her eyes got big, Chris, and said, my goodness, she's South Asian and Jamaican. That means anything is possible for a woman. And this is my daughter, who's eight years old. And and at a time... What the fuck is up with the left and their my eight-year-old? So everybody started compiling things. And Noam Bloom, apparently eight is the age when children reach their peak wokeness. Hillary Clinton, our eight-year-old, has been having trouble sleeping. Fine, she told us she was worried about gun violence and sobbed. Bussy Phillips. Brian Michael Benz, my eight-year-old asked if President Trump's once shoved his hand down a lady's pants and laughed about it. She heard about it at school. I froze. Michael something or other. My sister told me that my eight-year-old niece balled her fist at the TV looking at Trump and said, This ain't over. I love her resilience. Claire's Jeffrey, two of eight, 
two, an eight-year-old overheard me listening to it and said, I hope Hillary Clinton makes history. Women's rights are human rights. Go women, go women. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what your kid said. Uh, Sally Cohn, Trump can't be bad as Caesar, right? My eight-year-old at breakfast. Saba a something or other. My niece first responded to the election. Should I tell people at school I'm not a Muslim anymore? She's eight! The night Hillary Clinton lost the White House, Amanda Littman cried so hard she threw up. In Atlanta, as the returns rolled in, Tracy Felt's love faced a question from her anguished eight-year-old daughter. Now what do we do? Cosmopolitan. My seven-year-old asked me if President Trump was going to hurt him. David Owens. My eight-year-old daughter pumped her fist and shouted, yes, when the news BBC Doctor Who was revealed. Think that tells you all you need to know. Carrie Goldman. My eight-year-old asked, how could you leave out Ray and SW Star Wars Monopoly? Actual story, dear Hasbro. How could you leave out Ray? She belongs in Star Wars Monopoly and all the other Star Wars games. Without her, there's no Force Awakens. That's what eight-year-olds are thinking of. Lena Dunham. My 10-year-old godson just asked if you can have a wife and still be a misogynist. I was like, oh, yeah, dude, for sure. Claire Jeffries. Mama, does he understand what Donald Trump is going to do? Eight years on hearing Pence closing. Marianne Ankers just had a sobbing chat with my seven-year-old about mental illness and showed him this latest from POTUS. My son said, that's sad. These woke eight-year-olds are getting vulgar. They're radicalizing. Takya Papur. Bragging about how precocious, progressive my child is and getting my own smoking take out there. Double victory. Let's state the obvious. When pundits tweet about their little stories, all they're doing is sending out their opinions, but doing so in a way that A, makes them look like great parents for raising such emotionally advanced children. B, shields them from criticism. Because what kind of jerk is going to attack a child, for God's sake? How could you be for Obamacare repeal? My sweet little Charlotte thinks the expansion of Medicaid has saved lives and so we simply need to bolster the exchange. How could you back Trump's travel pan. My precious little Aiden feels that our refugees' vetting procedures are sufficiently vigorous. How dare Mitch Mitch McConnell silence Elizabeth Warren? My darling little Darian's Farrowed her brow while she was watching the clip on Don Lemon. I shall persist against the patriarchy. As my colleague Alex Griswold pointed out, the parents sure wouldn't tweet out their kid's opinion if he was sickening reactionary. Look at this protest. What do you think? Wow, we should keep people segregated for their safety. What? Blood and soil, daddy. <laughs> it's the last sign of losing the argument. That's what the left does on guns, on everything. The whole trans fight is them just, look at these poor kids. The parents won't let them change, chop off their cock at four. So to more social justice stupidity, being a social justice war, warrior, ultra spiritual, spiritual life episode, ESL students learn new gender pronouns Every Silicon Valley company right now. And Woke Scold Hotline. These are from the previous podcast. Enjoy. I swim. You swim. We swim. Very good, everyone. Now, Farhad, do you swim? I swim. Everyone, Farhad swims. So, he swims. Good. 
Now let's conjugate the verb to swim with the other pronouns. She swims. They swim. Zer swims. Z swims. Zai swim. What's wrong? I don't understand. That's okay. I don't understand, and that's all right, Louise. So I is the first person pronoun used when you're referring to yourself. I swim. Correct. Yes, I understand. I, but I don't understand. What is that? They are all gender-neutral pronouns. What does that mean? Gender-neutral pronouns are what you use when you're referring to someone who doesn't want to be referred to by traditional masculine or feminine pronouns, like he or she. So not a boy, not a girl. That's right, Yuki. Is he gay?、Uh, no. Well, not necessarily. My brother, he gay. Is he one of them? Do you know your brother's preferred pronouns? I don't know. My family not speak to me. Cultures are different. It's important when studying and practicing English that you stay sensitive to the pronouns of others. Not a boy, not a girl.、Uh, that's a table, Farhat. It is a table. You see, the table didn't choose its gender. Objects can't do that, but people can. For example, what is Yuki? Girl. Well, maybe we don't want to. Misgender Yuki. Yes, I'm a girl. You could be. I am. Yeah, but you could also be someone who was assigned female at birth, but now identifies as non-binary. So we would, in fact, use a gender-neutral pronoun for you, like Z. What is assign? Is homework?、Uh, no, no, no. Assign is how you look on the outside, but how you feel on the inside—that is how we identify. I. Identify swim. Really, Farhad? I am confused. You shouldn't be confused, Yuki. Sorry. It's really not that hard, you guys. There's only sixty-three pronouns. Sixty-three pronoun. Yes, and it's important before speaking to anyone that you ask, "What is your preferred gender pronoun?" I have to ask everyone that. Yes, of course. Louise, what if you accidentally referred to a Z as a Za? Wouldn't you be embarrassed? No. Of course you would. You should be embarrassed, and you know what else? It's offensive, right? Right. And you want to be a gender ally, right? Right. You're not learning English to be a bigot, are you? Okay. All right, Luis gets it. Okay, so who is still confused? This swim. When people first started talking about diversity, I was a little apprehensive. But when I realized it just meant hiring a bunch of different colors of people who agree with me, I was all in. Every job should be fifty percent women. Well, I don't know if every job. Do you have a problem with diversity, Osama? No, I'm just saying that. Anyone else here have a problem with diversity? There's, There's no, no biological difference between men and, men and women. Very diverse guys, great work. I pledge to fill every position other than mine with the most diverse staff of people who agree with me in the history of Silicon Valley. Big tech needs to censor speech more. All right, let's tweet another picture of the staff. Actually, let me get in the middle of this puppy. Count of three, say I'm with her. We have black guys that hate Trump, brown guys that hate Trump, Asians that hate Trump, women that hate Trump, LGBT who hate Trump. Our main export at Diversity Corp is the right. Opinions, but said by a black guy. Russia Gate. 
Yeah, just do the other one too, if you don't mind. Oh. Scientists should never be questioned. Didn't even ask my resume. He asked my 23 and me and my thoughts on Trump. My interview was just him asking me if I had ever had sex with a woman. Hey, what does the plus stand for in LGBT? You think we get like a plus that hates Trump? I was like, yeah, I made out with a chick once in college. And then he said, okay, that's good enough. Okay, Twitter just hired four new chick coders and I'm thinking we need to up the heat with a new slogan. Any ideas? Uh, what about we don't make anything, but we are multicultural doing it. Cole, that wasn't written by the white devil. Uh, Lesbo, you have any ideas? Uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't really classify myself as gay. We take pride in our work. Hey, can we get a Colombian coder? You know, I make it look easy, but it takes a lot of effort to put together a broad group of people with the exact same stance on every social and political issue. Beauty is a social construct. Not sure what we do here, to be honest. We mainly brag about diversity on social media. You know what I like about you two is how different you are. We're actually pretty similar, man. Every morning he gives us a list of what he calls the right opinions. Revealing net neutrality will end the world. I'm pretty sure they did repeal that. Diversity is our strength. Larry, have a seat, please. What's this I hear about you liking an Andrew Dice Clay tweet? Yes, my favorite comedian. You're fired. <laughs> this. Landed. Today we're making coffee in the middle of bumfuck nowhere. 2020 has dealt us a global pandemic, rioting, Joe Exotic, murder hornets, and an overall concern for which revelations plague is going to come next. So I thought I'd have a nice little getaway to the countryside. There's not a moron for a hundred miles. Except for my cameraman, Kenny, who forgot the giant bag of booze and beef jerky on his way out. Literally, right next to the door, but we're no longer angry about that. Who the fuck packs meat in a fucking trash Okay, fuck you, Kenny. We have our AeroPress here, and we're ready to make some wilderness coffee. I've, uh, I've never used one of these things before, but, uh, God, there are hella mosquitoes out here, huh? Anyways, this looks like something you'd order off of adamandeve.com. Not that I would know that, or that Michael in customer service doesn't accept returns on gently used items. Kenny is telling me we put our coffee grounds in here, and it, uh, seems I forgot my grinder. We'll have to improvise. Seriously, what the fuck is with these mosquitoes? We've ground up our beans, and it only took us 45 minutes. I've used our tactisquatch roast because the ambiance of this sequestered place just emanates. Operator Bigfoot is going to assassinate me, and they'll never find my body. Now we're going to add some water. Is this safe? That can make you really sick, like diarrhea. Fuck it, okay? It's already brown. We're halfway there, okay? Seriously, I'm about to flip my entire fuck. Who the shit gave these tiny winged assholes permission to steal my blood? We've got our water going in the jet boil here. Now I'm just gonna wait for it to get to the right temperature. Do you uh, wanna play I Spy while we wait? No. Fuck you, Kenny. Now dump your water in here and stir it around. The mosquitoes are in the coffee. Apparently, I need a filter. I didn't bring any fucking filters. Coronavirus to the rescue. We can use this as a substitute. Uh, that doesn't seem very- Fuck you, Kenny. All right, let's do a quick montage because I don't feel like scripting any more of this shit. There you have it, folks. A good fucking cup of coffee. Wow, that is fucking disgusting. Ah! I'm so scared right now to my cameraman, Kenny. I'm so sorry. I shit in your tent. So fucking dramatic. I'm putting my two weeks in. <laughs> huh.
How, how Heather, how, how would you shoot Bigfoot? How would I shoot Bigfoot? Yeah. In the dick! Bigfoot is real and he tried to eat my ass. John, you're a racist, sexist bigot, and any joy you feel comes at the expense of the underprivileged. That is stolen joy. Good session, I'm gonna put you through the billing. Recently I noticed that there's a huge section of the population that voluntarily watches entertainment that gives them a list of reasons why they're terrible. Tommy, good to hear from you. All your favorite movies are sexist. Everything that you've ever accomplished is because of your privilege, which is why I decided to capitalize on that market share by offering a service that for $9.99 a minute will angrily tell you why you're all the different types of phobic. Frank, let me ask you a question. Here. Does your girlfriend even have a penis? Oh, you went to lunch with your girlfriend? Some people can't have lunch with their girlfriend because they're gay. Think about that. Every bite you take is a bite out of progress. It now gives them a break from examining the mess in their own personal business and financial lives. Liking the country you live in is murder. If we didn't have client scolder confidentiality, I would report you to the police for murder. Sort of like a Catholic priest that only tells you why you're going to hell. Brittany, I need you to repent your bigotry by giving me 10 halberries. Except in this case, I'm molesting them financially. Do you know some people don't even have ears? This is your ear privilege that allows you to be scolded for $9.99. Okay, I'm losing one. No, Ken I know Vice is telling you you're garbage for free, but this is a premium service. No, do not, do not hang up on me. Do not hang up on me. I'm a brown man. Do not hang up on a brown man. You love being scolded by minorities. The Woke Scold Hotline even makes the perfect gift. Hi, Miss Anderson. Ryan here. Woke Scold Hotline. Present from your daughter. Yeah, the timer starts now, and Miss Anderson, you're a racist bitch. I was recently hired to show up at a wedding where I told the bride she was fat phobic for losing weight for the wedding, and I told the groom he was fat shaming by telling her she looked better now. Then I spent about half an hour scolding the guests who showed up late for appropriating a black wedding. Yeah, it's kinda time for men to be silent right now. No, I don't care if you're the CEO. Ask your marginalized interns how to run the company. All right, Mr. Colbert, I told you, you have to stop calling me. Just hire your own writers. Well, whose fault is that that you fired all the funny ones? I'm sort of cashing in on people's ego and that if they can now hear that they are so mighty and powerful that they are the sole contributing factor to the world's problems, they can now relish in that status while pretending they want to get rid of it. Your garbage. So on that, this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Fop podcast gmail.com get the show on soundcloud pocket static tune in radio google play itunes blueberry stitcher down and pocket cast remember check out the twitter page at fop tony reed our next show will be 19 i say 19 august year of our lord 2020 as gladiator would say are you not entertained that's over four hours of podcast probably too much but it was a long section and a lot of stuff happened i promise the next one will get back down to the two hours and 30 minutes that i've been shooting for which is a more manageable podcast as we started i thank you all for the listens please send any input you want for this show because remember it's your show if you want me to cover something all you gotta do is ask i will put it in i thank matt in oregon for his even though i jacked it up and straddled it over the beginning and the ending of a two segments but i forgot to talk about the 46 states but there it is. It's there. As always, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs and tune in Wednesday for another show. Thanks for listening, folks. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, 
It's a short ride. Make every day count. Thank you.